So Paul's letter to the Romans has been, and will continue to be, a a strong treatise on the blessing of God's grace and salvation by faith, by God's grace, apart from the works of the law. Now, as we've mentioned before, that this is a tremendously liberating message. Many labor under the weight of their sin and the sense that they need to somehow um, work their way out of that pit that their sin has dug for them. Now, of course, sin has dug us a pit. It has put us in a position, uh, and not just the activities of sin that we've committed, but the fact that we are by nature sinful. It is what resides within us. It's at the very heart of who we are. It's not just something we do. Again, it's something that we are. And so, therefore, uh, those who labor under the weight of trying to dig themselves out of the pit that sin has uh, dug for them uh, are ultimately pouring themselves into a fruitless effort, an effort that can never accomplish the goal and purpose that they're hoping that it will. I don't know what that was. But uh, y'all okay out there? But uh, so it will never accomplish what it was set forth to ultimately do, what we set, what we believe it will ultimately do. Our works can never accomplish that. And Paul makes this point here in Romans chapter 4. We finished off with verse 3 last time where it says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And it goes on to say, now to him who works, uh, the, whoop, my page stuck there. Now for him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Again, once again, Paul making the strong contrast between works and grace, between the law and grace. Now, if we pour ourselves into works thinking that that is going to somehow ultimately uh, deliver us from the penalty of our sin, to save us, as it were, it's actually not something that is earning us grace, but rather it is something that we are seeing as debt or something that is owed to us. Well, this becomes enormously problematic because if we begin to ask God to give us what is owed to us, we're always going to be on the negative side of the ledger on that. And so therefore, if God really were to give us what we deserved, that would be a terrible penalty. That is what uh, hell, separation from God, that is what condemnation is all about. That's what we deserve from our works. Now, we've mentioned in the past that um, that uh, that when we uh, try to blend the idea of works and grace, we ultimately pollute grace, and we don't really present grace or understand grace in in uh, uh, in the full sense of the definition that we should. Grace is separate from works. Grace is God's riches, not at our expense, but at Christ's expense. G R A C E. If you want to use that as an acronym, the idea that Christ has accomplished for us the great final work of our salvation, paying the debt that we could never pay uh, because he had no debt of his own to pay. He was worthy. And of course, as God in the flesh, this was true. He was worthy to go ahead and take our sin upon himself. He was capable. He was able. He could be that propitiation, uh, the satisfaction of God's righteous anger against sin. He was able to satisfy that in his own death on the cross and ultimately in his resurrection. And so when we think of our works, we ought not think of them as somehow earning grace, like piling up riches on the pile of grace. No, it's quite the opposite. It unfortunately fools us into thinking that we're somehow earning our way, as if somehow we can tip the scale of good deeds uh, and grace maybe sort of outweighing the bad deeds and the penalty. That's not how it works. The Bible never paints a picture like that. We never, ever, ever are taught to believe that we can somehow earn our salvation. Uh, Really, from the very beginning, it's always been by grace. We pointed to Galatians 3 last time, 
uh, and, and explain that the law's purpose was never to give us this false sense of being able to earn our salvation, quite the opposite. It was intended to point out that we couldn't. It was like a schoolmaster keeping us walking within the lines where we would learn of our inability to keep it and then also find ourselves brought face to face with the glorious figure of Christ who ultimately is able to. And this is why as Paul continues, he goes back and he points to David and talks about sort of the celebratory and, and relief-filled, the, uh, the, the exuberance that follows the exasperation uh, that, that David expresses in recognizing his freedom from the penalty of his own sin. Notice what it says in verse 5 of Romans chapter 4. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. You'll notice we've heard that expression a few times in just this, you know, maybe roughly about a paragraph's worth of content. The idea of justification or righteousness apart from works. And here's what David has to say, looking back to the Psalms. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Now, it's important to recognize the context in which David writes this. David writes this after his epic fail with Bathsheba. Uh, You remember the story where David... um, uh, was walking on uh, the rooftop, sort of a living space in Middle Eastern culture. Houses we have flat roofs, and it's generally considered a living space. And David is walking along the rooftop, and he glances across the way, and he sees a woman bathing, Bathsheba. And he looks at her, and he covets her, and he ultimately sends uh, some of his, his people to go get her and bring her to the palace, and he ultimately lies with her, and she becomes pregnant. And in order to cover that up, uh, he ultimately sends her husband to the front line despicably with a scroll of information encouraging uh, Uriah, uh, Bathsheba's husband. Uriah gives the, the scroll, the scroll of orders that is given to him by David to his commander. And he, the commander reads the scroll and realizes that Uriah has just brought his own death warrant up here. The commander's been told to sort of leave Uriah high and dry out there in the battle that he'll be killed. And so he has Uriah killed, David does, ultimately, through this means, and then takes in Bathsheba, uh, who is pregnant, presumably by everybody else from Uriah, but ultimately it is David who has made her pregnant. And so he has killed her husband, he's committed adultery, he's, committed, he's killed her husband, and then he tries to cover it up by seeming all magnanimous, by taking this poor, uh, sorrowful widow into his life and raising her child and this kind of thing. Well, God calls him out on this in dramatic fashion as he sends Nathan the prophet to condemn him for his actions. And so David, it says in the Psalms, as he describes how his bones ached within him during this period of time that he carried the the secret sin uh, uh, within himself. And and, And in the midst of this, he cries out how he has sinned against God ultimately. This is what David was living under in his sin. But he recognized the grace of God. Now, that doesn't mean that God just blew off David's sin. There were consequences that followed David throughout his life. But the righteousness that God gave David, uh, even in spite of his own sin, is what David celebrates. He recognizes that he has been, he is righteous because of God's favor, not because of his works. And he's well aware of it because the works that he is guilty of, he could never pay back. He could never earn his way out of. And so therefore, when he recognizes the grace of God that has freed him from the penalty that he so rightly deserves, 
he cries out with, with celebration again, saying, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered, and blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Now, just to finally make the point, once again in verse 5, we have once again this idea that him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted as righteousness. So once again, we have this extremely strong statement about the difference between a salvation or a righteousness by faith rather than works. But we also have the added point where David, where uh, Paul writes that our faith is not a work. Our belief is not a work. The fact that we trust in Christ is not considered an, an act or a work on our part that is meritorious. It is simply the receiving of that which is fully meritorious because uh, the fully meritorious work of Christ or his fully accomplished work on the cross. Uh, now, again, I know for the last few podcasts in Roman, we've, Romans, we've been talking about this whole idea of law versus grace, righteousness apart from the law, these kinds of things. But Paul spends most of the book of Romans essentially making that point and expanding on it throughout the book. And the reason for that is because it is, well, I would suggest that there are two, at least two reasons. One is because just the enormous importance of this point. Paul, a former Pharisee, someone who is zealous for the law, comes to finally be the one who lets the world know that, that no one is saved because of the works of the law. But the other reason is that, because it's not only just important, but it also helps us to understand that the gospel is... A free gift, a free gift. It is something that is given to us and is not earned. And that grates against human nature in such strong fashion that that becomes one of the most uh, serious blocks to our truly believing because we always feel like there has to be something in there that we have to earn. But Paul makes the case that's not, that's not the way it is. It is the free gift of God, even as he would say, Ultimately, in Ephesians, it is the free gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We have no part to play in, in claiming that we have somehow earned it. We have no part to play in claiming that uh, we deserve this in some way, that we've worked our way toward it. None of us will stand before God and say, look what I did. Um, because if we were to say that, God would show us everything we did and we'd be humiliated beyond words and condemned but it's not by our works. It's by simply the grace of God that has been afforded us by the finished work of Christ. I'll quote what I've been quoting like probably every other post. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is grace. So rest in it. Find your peace in it. Understand that you can never be good enough to earn it, and so therefore you simply have to receive the grace of God by faith. Now, there may be some watching today who are not believers. There are believers who struggle with the idea of, of trying to keep up through works and either earn their salvation or maintain their salvation or win back their salvation by their efforts. Hopefully, we're continually driving home the point that that's impossible. Grace is something that is received. But there may be some who are watching right now who uh, are not believers. You've never put your trust in Christ. You still are sort of living in that place where you feel like, yeah, if I'm a good person, I'll get in. As long as my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds and that kind of thing. Um, you will never, ever find the Lord telling us that that's how we go to heaven. 
It's exactly the opposite. And hopefully by now, if you've been watching any of these posts or even just watching this one, you've maybe come to realize that you've been mistaken about how you go to heaven. And therefore, you recognize that you really don't actually have a right relationship with God. That if you were to die today, you would die uh, condemned because you've never received that gift of God's grace and forgiveness. Uh, it was finished at the cross. It's done. It's, it's there for you to receive now, but you've never received it. I'm going to pray right now that you would receive it today and not put it off for another day because none of us has promised another day. And so let me pray right now um, as we close, and I'll give an invitation for you to pray along, that you might receive Christ personally, that you might trust in Him and Him alone for your salvation, in what He accomplished in dying on the cross and rising again the third day. Uh, The Bible tells us that if we believe in Him, if we put our trust in Him, if our faith and confidence for our eternal life is rooted and is completely laid on his shoulders in what he accomplished, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the gift of grace. We thank you for the clarity with which you speak of this in Scripture, helping us to understand unequivocally that there is no possible way that we can ever earn our salvation. It's not just that we commit sin, we are sinners. And so, Father, we thank you that your grace has come through the finished work of Christ on the cross, that in dying for our sins on the cross, he who knew no sin becoming sin on our behalf, we now become the righteousness of God in Christ by faith in him. And so thank you for the freedom that brings, not just in terms of our salvation where we know we belong to you, but in terms of the day-to-day struggle against sin. We know that we're no longer fighting for victory and fighting for our salvation, but rather we are simply responding to the salvation that has been given to us. We are living in the grace that is now given to us. And as the Holy Spirit lives within us and continues to make us uh, more and more like Jesus, as he sets us further and further apart for him, we find that it is he that is doing that work in us. And we are simply surrendering to him and giving him that space. So Father, thank you for that. And for those who have never put their trust in Christ, I would pray that right now in their hearts, you would be bringing a level of conviction that they just cannot deny and they just cannot walk away from. I pray that, Father, in this moment they'd realize their lostness and their hopeless uh, estate, their hopeless condition outside of Christ, the impossibility of their being able to earn their salvation, and also the understanding that salvation is in Christ and Him alone. While there are many lords and many gods that people would claim to believe in or that they believe exist in whatever form that they do, we understand that there is one God and one God alone, and He's ultimately made Himself known in the Incarnation, in the person of Christ, born in Bethlehem, who ultimately went to the cross in Jerusalem and died for our sins and rose from the dead. If that's you, and you're ready to put your trust in Him, or maybe you have now in just hearing these things, put your trust in Him, and you want to begin to walk with Him, You want to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to invite you to pray right now. Heavenly Father, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I confess to you that I have broken your law and I have rebelled against you. But today, I want to lay down my pride, my arms, my resistance, and instead fall upon the grace that Jesus won for me at the cross. I put my trust in him who died for my sins and washed me clean. I thank you that he rose from the dead and that I understand that there's hope beyond the grave and that in Christ, covered by his sacrifice for me, his shed blood, 
I can stand now in your presence, forgiven and free, unashamed and unafraid, no longer a stranger, but a son or a daughter. Thank you for your love for me and your grace. Thank you for saving me and for setting me free. And I pray that you'd empower me to walk with you, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to walk with him each day, giving myself to him afresh every morning and asking for the grace to get through every day until I ultimately see you face to face. Thank you, Father, for your grace, your goodness, your love, your mercy, your forgiveness, and the salvation that you've now given me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, praise the Lord. Welcome to the family of God. Uh, you will notice, by the way, on our, uh, uh, on our YouTube channel and on our podcast uh, outlet uh, that we have notes there with sometimes scripture verses, information about the church, things like that. And there's also a link to the Gideons app where you can get a Bible and download it to your phone in your language, where you can listen to it, you can read it, uh, all of those things. So that's our way of being able to make sure that you can get a Bible in your possession that you can uh, grow in and you can learn to read, uh, you can read through and learn what it means to follow in your faith. I'd also encourage you to reach out to me. Send me an email at uh, my website at parsonspad.com or at our church at calvarychapelfranklin.com or, or comment below on the YouTube, uh, our YouTube channel here where you might be watching this. And uh, let me know. I mean, I'd love to pray for you and, and, and answer any questions you might have. Help maybe, if it's possible, help you find a church in your area where you can grow alongside of other believers, where you can give and receive and be part of a church family and, and uh, grow in your faith that way. It's just, it's, it's, it's important that we do this. And I want to encourage you toward that. So God bless you. Thank you all for watching and uh, looking forward to catching up with you next time. Again, uh, during this little stretch, podcast posts might be a little bit sparse as we uh, are going to be heading off to California in that, but uh, or at, at this point might be in California by the time this posts. But um, in any case, um, looking forward to catching up with you as uh, we continue to go through the word together. So God bless you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace forever. Amen.